1: Freedom in Christ that shows itself in life is more concerned with ministering, serving, edifying, and building up people than it is with defending itself and exercising itself. Through love, we are to become each other's slaves.
2: Christ has set us free, and we are free indeed. But what does that freedom look like? And are there boundaries surrounding this freedom? These are questions we're answering this week and next, here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Hi there. Welcome to our program. Today we are back in Galatians chapter 5, looking at verses 13 through 15. As we focus in on this freedom that we have in Christ, but what does that freedom entail? Are we set free to do whatever we want, or have we been set free to a greater purpose, a greater design? Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
1: As Christians, we have never been more at liberty than we are now in Christ, but as we have seen over the past two weeks and will continue to look at today, Christ has set boundaries on that freedom to protect us. Two weeks ago, we saw from verse 13 that Christian freedom is freedom to control the flesh, not freedom to indulge the flesh. We are now set free in Christ to control the flesh because as Christians, the Holy Spirit lives within us, enabling us to say no to the sin that once dominated us before God transformed our hearts and our lives. And if we are not able to control the flesh, then we cannot consider ourselves to be Christians. Because Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the first boundary on our freedom in Christ is that he has given us the freedom to control our fleshly indulgences. The second boundary Christ has placed on us to protect us, we saw last week in verses 13 through 15, which say, but through love, serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and consume one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So, Christian freedom is freedom to love and serve our neighbors, not freedom to exploit and abuse our neighbors and use them for our benefit. And the only people who are truly free to love are those for whom God has brought about the new birth within. Taking out the old heart and putting in a new one that's filled with the Holy Spirit and has the law of God written on it, and who have the desire and the ability to love God and other people with the totality of their hearts. Now, faith manifests itself, shows itself, in the giving of ourselves for the welfare of other people. True Christians are loving people. R.C. Sproul said this in an article called Perpetual Gratitude. He said Ephesians 5.21 also explains that our submission to one another is evidence of the Spirit-filled life. This mutual submission is not inconsistent with role distinctions within the body of Christ. After all, Paul in Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 9 explains that certain individuals have positions of authority that are not shared by everyone in the church. The apostle's view of submission here is the submission of loving service. All of us, no matter our responsibilities, are to put others first and seek to meet their needs before our own. John Calvin comments, God has bound us so strong to each other that no man ought to endeavor to avoid subjection. And where love reigns, mutual services will be rendered. I do not except even kings and governors whose very authority is held from the service of the community. It is highly proper that all should be exhorted to be subject to each other in their turn. Servanthood, servanthood is the path to greatness, not the position we hold or the degree of authority that we have been given, Matthew twenty three eleven. Even those who are in authority over people, including husbands, executives, and parents, must submit those to those under them in spirit of service. True leaders are always putting the needs of others before their own. And Christian leaders who do not do so must repent of their sin and serve others well. End quote. No matter who you are, no matter what, your, what position you hold, Christ calls on us to loving service of others. This love for neighbor serves other people. Notice in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, but only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This love, agape love is a godlike love the one who does the loving gives himself in the service of other people with absolutely absolutely no thought of the merit or the demerit of the person served and with absolutely no thought of compensation that is godlike love god does not love people and do so on the basis that someone deserves it. Well, you know, this lady over here, she, she deserves to be loved. So I, I think I, I will love her. This guy doesn't deserve it, so I won't love him. I can get a lot of glory out of this other guy, and, and he can benefit me, so I'll love him. That's not the way God loves. Do you know that whenever the Bible says God loves... He always gives, much like for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. In Romans we read, but God demonstrated His love toward us that while we were sinners, God died for us. He gave Himself for us. God gives of Himself toward the benefit and the welfare of other people who do not deserve it and who cannot benefit Him in any way. And God places this love in our hearts, and He enables us to express it to other people. So if we are true Christians, we have a love that is able to serve other people without any concern of whether I can benefit, maybe, I could use them in the future. You know, if I, if I love them now, maybe they will do something for me when I'm sick. No, it is to be done without any concern of whether they are worthy of my love or whether it will even be reciprocated. It is a love that serves. It is a love that gives. Freedom is more concerned with serving than with defending and displaying itself. Freedom is more concerned with ministering and with edifying than with saying, I will stand for my own freedom and all of my rights. That is what we have today among us. We say, Christ has made us free, and I am not going to compromise that freedom. I'm going to practice it. I'm going to exercise it no matter what. Beloved, this is an ungodly position. There is a difference between liberty and exercising that liberty. Christ sets us to glorifying God and enjoying Him and to enjoy life and serve Him. But we've got to be wise in the way we exercise it. If someone says, I'm free, I'm going to exercise that freedom no matter what, he shows that he is about to fall over the boundary because the Bible tells us that freedom is more concerned with ministering and edifying and serving other people than it is declaring itself. There are going to be times in which, though we are free in Christ to do things, but in order to minister to other people, we don't practice our Christian liberty at that point in an effort to witness for Christ because love is more concerned with serving than defending itself. Let me demonstrate that in a couple of passages. This actually could be a whole sermon in itself, but I promise you I won't do that today. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 13, we read, "...but take care of this liberty of yours, lest this liberty of yours somehow becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For as someone sees you who have knowledge, dining in the idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things, sacrificed to idols?" For through your knowledge, he who is weak has ruined the brother for whose sake Christ died. And thus, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat another T-bone steak as long as I live, that I might not cause my brother to stumble. No, of course, it doesn't say... T-bone steak there. It says meat in general, but I think it helps you get the idea. Romans 14, verses 15 through 21. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. In other words, love is a boundary of freedom. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food." All things are indeed clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. And the word stumble actually here means sin. So here you see in two passages of Scripture that freedom in Christ that shows itself in life is more concerned with ministering, serving, edifying, and building up people than it is with defending itself and exercising itself. Through love, we are to become each other's slaves. The Bible says if you are going to be a leader of men, you must be a slave of men. You must put their interests and their concerns above your own. Turn yourself inside out. For the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. As one has said, we are not to be one master with a lot of slaves. But each one of us is to be one slave with a lot of masters. When it comes to love. So that is the secondary boundary. The first boundary is that Christian freedom is freedom to control sinful appetites. And not to indulge those desires and those impulses that are evil. And the second boundary is that Christian freedom is freedom to love other people and to serve them. Not the freedom to exploit and abuse other people. Now we come to the third boundary to our freedom in our text, which is in verse 14. And it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me read that again. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the point is that Christian freedom is freedom to obey God's law not freedom to to disregard it or ignore it. And this is a boundary that people have fallen off by the truckloads in our culture and in churches all over the land every single day. They disregard this boundary and they plunge to their death. Christian freedom is the freedom to obey God's law, not freedom to disregard and ignore it. According to the book of Galatians, real freedom is to be defined as that spirit imparted ability and desire to do what you should do. Not to do whatever you want to do, but to do what you should do. And of course, what we should do is spelled out for us in Scripture. So, freedom is the spirit imparted ability and desire. To obey what God has commanded us to do in his word, not to disregard that word. Or pick and choose from that word what we wish to follow. And here it says in verse 14 that we have the responsibility of fulfilling that law. It says, for the whole law is fulfilled. And the word fulfilled doesn't mean, as some believe, to do away with. This is how people try to get around this. For instance, when Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. They say, there it is. Jesus said he came to fulfill it, so we don't have to obey it any longer. As if the word fulfilled means to do away with. Well, what does the word abolish mean? It means to do away with. But Jesus came To do the opposite. He came not to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus didn't come to earth and say, I came to abolish or to do away with the law of God. But in contrast, he said, he came to enforce, to confirm, to establish, to put it into effect. That is what he meant. And here in verse 14, you have the same thing. The whole law is enforced Obeyed, confirmed, established, put into effect by us in one word, or in other words, to say it in just one word, you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that sentence refutes the person that says, well, we don't have to obey any of the laws in the Old Testament. We're Christians. We we just need to yield ourselves up to love and the Holy Spirit. And all of the laws of the Old Testament... We don't have to obey any longer. Beloved, you shall love your neighbor as yourself is a case law from Leviticus 19.18. So if you don't have to pay attention to the laws in the Old Testament, then you don't have to love yourself and you don't have to love other people. Because that is a direct law from the Old Testament brought into the New Testament. Paul is simply quoting a case law out of the Old Testament, saying, in effect, that this still stands along with all of God's other moral laws for us. Listen to this from Dr. Rushduni. The excuse of this second group, who are pietists, is that the law has been done away with by grace, and so there is no reason to preach the law of God. This is a false doctrine. The law is done away with only as an indictment against us. It stands as the righteousness of God which we must uphold. Every aspect of the Old Testament law still stands except those aspects of the ceremonial and priestly laws specifically fulfilled by the coming of Christ and those laws specifically reinterpreted in the New Testament. We are saved from the law as an indictment, but not to break the law freely. Is the law done away with and the Christian free to kill, commit adultery, or to steal? No. Rather, the Christian is saved to be able to live in and under God's law. And the law now is written on the tables of his heart. Turn to Romans 13, 18 through 10. Romans 13, 8 through 10. and You'll see a repeat and an expansion of this, that Christians are responsible to fulfill and obey God's law by loving other people from the heart. They don't have the freedom to disregard and ignore the law. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong. Love doesn't sin. Love doesn't break the law of God. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Now notice, love sums up the law. It doesn't replace it. It doesn't displace it. It doesn't supplant the law. It fulfills and confirms it. When we love God and other people from the heart, that is a summation statement of what the whole law of God is about. The law of God is obeyed when it is obeyed from a heart of love and then it guides that love to show us how we are to love God and to love other people. Now that we are Christians, what is it to love your neighbor as yourself as the summation of the law? It means now we love to do what we ought to do, which is to obey the law of God. You see, when you fulfill the law by love, Love still can't do wrong. And what defines what is wrong? Of course, it is the law of God. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It's not going to break and disregard the law because now as Christians, we love to do what we ought to do. And how do you know what you ought to do? Well, before you were a Christian, you hated to do what you are supposed to do. But now you're a Christian, and you have a new heart, and you know because you love to do what you ought to do. So you search the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, bearing in mind that the Ten Commandments and the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, are from the Old Testament. And that's why we must include the Old Testament searching all of Scripture to find out how we ought to live, because that is how we love to live. That is how we want to live as new creatures in Christ. And that is true of every Christian. Every real Christian loves to do what he should do. He doesn't always do it because he is still a sinner, But when he doesn't do what he ought to do, it breaks him. It makes him feel miserable and convicted and he's not happy until he confesses his sins to God and gets back to where he ought to be. This is the definition of a Christian. And my friends, if it is not true of you, you are not a Christian. A Christian loves to do what he ought to do. He ought to go to church on Sunday, setting it aside as a day of rest and worship. And he loves to do it. He can't wait to do it. He ought to continue to meditate on and and read and, and study and hear the word of God preached because he craves spiritual nourishment like a little baby craves his milk. That is what he ought to do. And he loves doing it.